Hey, everybody. Welcome to the In the Truck podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Brown, on Twitter, Brown underscore D-E-N-I-S-M. So we're trying out a new app today, a new podcasting app. I don't think I'm limited in time, but I'm really kind of used to that 15-minute block. And um, the most popular one we've ever had was five minutes. So maybe it's in my <laughs> my interest and your interest to keep it shorter than it is to try to abuse this new app. So, but I did, there's a couple things I didn't want to talk about today. So I really feel like, yeah, I got time to do that because uh, I'm not going to get cut off. Essentially the other app, you know, aside from the 15 minute thing also limits storage. So every episode that I was recording, I had to delete one and I was getting to the point where I only had ones that I kind of liked. So I didn't want to do that. So I'm not really sure where the future of this is going to be, whether it's going to be on this app, um, which is called CastBox or the other one, Spreaker. Um, But we'll try it out and see. So first of all, obviously, I'm heartbroken um, for the people in that small town in Texas. Um, Those families and horribly affected that they are by that. And I think that, um, you know, people so quickly politicize these kinds of things on, you know, especially go on Twitter. It's just, it's unfortunate that we can't take a minute and um, remember that these are, you know, real people and real families and, uh, and not jump for politics right away. So the first thing I want to talk about really quickly is that there's some debate, uh, between evangelicals and Catholics or just, I guess, different Christians about, uh, the Christian's role in salvation. So there's people who believe that the Christian has no role whatsoever in salvation and there's people who believe that the role is entirely theirs. So from the evangelical standpoint, they reference back to a lot of verses that talk about, um, you know, essentially that you're saved by grace through faith. Which, you know, is biblically true. It's, it's hard to argue with that. And then the Catholic standpoint would be that you can't just uh, take it. You have to do something for it. And I, and I think that, you know, I was listening to one of these arguments recently, and I just thought, you know, Second Corinthians five fifteen really answers this question. So Second Corinthians five fifteen says, "And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again." That really answers the question. So you are saved by grace through faith, but you really kind of owe an enormous debt. And the way that you repay that debt while you're here on earth is by living for Jesus and not living for yourself. So I've been waiting, I don't know, I've been waiting years to hear somebody give a sermon on this verse. I've never heard it, but if I were to give a sermon, I would give it entirely on this verse. I think it's important to remember, right, that um, that your salvation is a is a gift, the magnitude of which you could never even fathom. And that you, you know, whatever energy you have on this earth, you owe uh, a a debt that you can repay. And not that repaying it poorly disqualifies you or or you lose your salvation from it. But just keep in mind on a daily basis that you're called for to live unto him which died for you and rose again. All right. So the thing I promised yesterday on Twitter I was going to talk about today is the Saudi um, I don't even know what you want to call it. Uh, the Saudis are calling it an anti-corruption probe. I don't think anyone believes that at this point. 
Um, I have heard some people suggest that somehow the Saudi anti-corruption probe is tied into sort of the the, the um, investigations in the U.S. and the people being targeted are people who were friendly with Obama and Clinton and Bush. And that I think that maybe that's typical for Americans to look at global situations and imagine how we fit into the picture. Um, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. You know, I talked a couple weeks ago about the Petrowan, about China getting involved in pricing oil in, in their own currency, about the enormous advantages of that. If you want to go back and listen to that, it's on the Spreaker app. Uh, www.spreaker.com slash user slash in the truck. And uh, yeah, I pretty much explained, you know, why they'd want to do it. They've been talking about it for a long time and they're finally, you know, it's definitely happening in two months from now. I don't think it's going to be an overnight thing, but I think over time that's going to grow and grow. They're sort of testing the waters to see. But the other thing you have to remember is that when we went after the idea of the petrodollar, which has benefited us enormously, our entire lifestyle as a country exists because of this. Um, we went after Saudi Arabia first and we got Saudi Arabia to agree. And the way we got Saudi Arabia to agree essentially was we bribed them. We gave them money. We gave them military equipment. We gave them military training. We gave them all kinds of aid. And then we offered them a means of storing their dollars so that they could garner interest from it. It was really like a win-win-win for them. And they went with it. And the rest of OPEC followed after them. Um, but they were first. So China definitely studies what other people are doing. And I think that it makes sense that they would go to Saudi Arabia first. So you see these guys getting arrested. So, yeah, so to go over what happened in Saudi Arabia, 11 princes, which they have a ton of, I think they have 300 of them, but 11 princes were arrested under a corruption probe and eight more were blown up in a helicopter, which I don't know if they're saying is an accident or terrorism or whatever the case may be. I think probably you can draw your own conclusions if two days after 11 princes are arrested and all their assets seized and frozen, that eight more get blown up in a helicopter. We probably can just assume what's happening there. So so to go back to the Petrowan thing, there's a um, zero hedge is an economics um, I don't know, site. And they were talking about the Petrowan and trying to kind of smooth people over. Um, and remember, the China thing is in context of BRICS. Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. It's a, it's a unit that's gotten together and they want to end the dollar dominance. They're very open about it, very, very um, um, transparent. They're not pretending they're doing anything else. That's what they say they want to do. So... Zero Hedge from uh, October 27th is talking about this Petro One and whether people should be worried. So he says, our view, this is a quote, our view is that physical efforts to shift global crude trade away from U.S. dollars seems doomed to failure unless the Saudis fully participate. Usually in matters of pricing, other Middle East exporters follow the lead of the Saudis. There's a double whammy effect and the volumes could start to increase quickly. So that's the thing, right? China knows that too. In this context, so back to the quote, in this context, the warming relationship between Saudi Arabia and Russia becomes more interesting too. Could the two countries cooperate on this in the same way they've cooperated on cutting production this year in order to stabilize prices? 
perhaps. That would add even more volumes because Russia is the second biggest crude exporter in the world. According to BP Statistical Review, Russian crude exports averaged 5.5 million barrels a day in 2016. All right. So they're saying right there, like the Saudis not likely to do it because of this long-standing relationship, but they are having a relationship with Russia now. And in Saudi Arabia, you're dealing with a lot of princes. So like who, who is who and what's going on? But all these people are trapped in the corruption thing. And the guys, the eight guys that got blown up are big U.S. investors, which means they have a huge interest in the dollar. So these guys, you know, these guys are invested in like, I don't know what some of them got arrested. Some of these guys. Uh, what's the one guy's name? Oh, Prince Bin Talal. So Talal's an investor in, and a shareholder, a primary shareholder in Citigroup, News Corp, Twitter. Um, and a bunch of these guys are all U.S. investors, which has led um, U.S. commentators to say that it's it's somehow related to what's going on in the U.S. I think personally what's happening is that the Saudis are moving away from the U.S. dollar. And that the people who are super, super powerful in Saudi Arabia, multi, multi, multi billionaires that are tied into the dollar and do, would resist such a move <laughs> have just been taken out of the way in one fell swoop. So back to the zero hedge, they said if if it would take the Saudis to make a real fundamental change in moving the oil markets away from a sole reliance on the dollar to a multiple currency market, from a Saudi perspective, the arguments against are at least as strong as the arguments in favor. In, in short, we're skeptical of Saudi support for such a move. So, but that's over now because all these guys just got taken out of the way and they're, they're probably are guilty of some sort of Saudi corruption or, or Islamic corruption and they're probably going to be found guilty and their assets have been taken. You know, Saudi Arabia has been hurt by what's happened with the dollar prices. You know, like Zero, Zero Hedge talks about the Russians and the Saudis agreeing to cut production to try to stabilize prices because the, the price of oil had gone down so much. Because in response to the Russian invasion of Crimea, which was done in response to the U.S. Uh, support of a Ukrainian revolt to overthrow a democratic, democratically elected pro-Russian government, um, the U.S. attacked oil prices trying to hurt Russia. But it hurts other people too, including Saudi Arabia. So it makes sense for Russia and Saudi Arabia to be friendly with each other because they're both kind of being hurt by the same policy. And when China shows up, like I said before, man, China, this is a country whose government will build an entire city because they think they might want it later. They have no problem spending money for a long game of something that's coming later on. So you can believe that when when China approaches Saudi Arabia and is attempting to make their currency a global reserve currency – attempting to put themselves in a situation where they can print money to buy energy and to put themselves in a situation where money supply doesn't affect their currency's value, just like the U.S. dollar has at this point, um, that they're going to be really generous. They have a lot of resources. They have a lot of money. Um, the things they've been doing in the third world as far as infrastructure projects, education, um, and just making improvements, electrical, electricity, um, Road building, railroad building. They just built a huge railroad in Kenya, the first one that was constructed in Kenya since colonial Britain. They're doing all these things. They're spending all this money. And, of course, they're going to do the same thing in Saudi Arabia. So it's 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 shocking to me that these two kind of dots weren't connected. You know, the, the 
the Saudis and their internal politics really would have prevented because they're so invested in the dollar would have prevented this move, I think. And um, the king just stepped in and took those people out. 19 princes either arrested and assets seized or killed. And um, and I think that you're going to see this sort of um, accelerate at this point. I think there's been a decision made um, to go ahead and make this, this a reality and make this happen. I think that China's moves in two months to have a... Um, to have the uh, the Petrowan start um, has been picked up, and I think that they're going to move forward with it, right? So we're going to go from a Wan-denominated crude oil futures contract to full-on uh, Petrowan. And I think that's probably coming in the near term, not the long term. And that's a huge problem for us because it will lead to inflation in a way that we're we're not used to and very uncomfortable with. Um, it will lead to countries no longer focusing their economies around the idea of, of manufacturing things to sell to the U.S. because the need for dollars won't be there. And I think that you're going to see some of these consumer products go away and you're going to see prices, uh, prices increase substantially. And I think that we're not in a position, our Federal Reserve and our political situation, we're not in a position to handle crises like this well. I don't think we're a population at this point who can suffer well, and I think it's going to be a big, big, big problem. So I just want everybody to know about it um, as you're going forward. I think, like I said, I think that a lot of people either have reported um, this anti-corruption crackdown as a legit anti-corruption crackdown, and I think a lot of people um, who see it kind of that, that that's not really what's going on are missing the boat and connecting it to U.S. politics, which I think it has nothing to do with. And remember, since 1450, there's been six reserve currencies. You know, none of them lasted much longer than, you know, maybe 80 years, 100 years. Um, Britain, you know, from maybe 1800 to 1940 was probably the longest. Maybe Spain of, uh, of the 1500s. But yeah, Portugal, the Netherlands, France, Britain, everybody has been in there. And um, and it's one of those things that definitely at some point is going to come to an end. You know, the idea that you can just print money forever and there's no consequence to fiat currency is ridiculous. So that's coming. So that's it. That's the first podcast on the new app. I hope that y'all um, got something out of that. I hope that you do some of your own research into the situation in Saudi Arabia and the Petrowan and kind of see what's going on. I think it's really important. Um, so yeah, share this, um, uh, retweet this on Twitter, share it with, uh, with your friends. Maybe we can start a conversation, um, about it. And, you know, I don't think, like I said, I don't think our country is in a situation where our country is going to be able to handle this, but you certainly can get yourself prepared in a lot of ways. And I'm not selling, uh, <laughs> I'm not selling food dehydrators or gold or, or anything of that nature, but I think there's some simple things you can do to kind of get yourself in a situation where, um, where it won't be such a big shock to you, you know, do some research into the Weimar Republic, um, you know, Venezuela recently, things like that, and see what the kinds of things that people, um, went with, had to go without. And, um, and you get, you know, it's, you know, it's inexpensive things you can stock up on. Like I said, I'm not trying to sell you anything, but you certainly can get some extra toilet paper and, um, you know, rice and, you know, little things like that, that store well, potatoes, just things that store well in case something were to happen where, um, Services were disrupted or pricing went totally insane um, and you'd you know be able to take care of your family 
I think that that's important. But um, yeah, and and uh, and, and like I always like to tie faith into it. So you know. Read Second Corinthians. Check it out. I think there's a lot of answers in there, a lot of questions people seem to ask on a regular basis. And like I said before, a couple of different times, I think a big answer to a lot of our problems is knowing Scripture better, knowing our Savior better. And um, I hope you all have a fantastic day.